bad leaders are everyone's worst nightmare, giving you the ultimate playbook to lead, inspire, and grow your team. Better tech leadership powered by BrainHub. So let me start with this. So your journey through tech world is, is, is impressive with roles from uh, spanning from product consultant to head of product development and now uh, a co-founder and CPO at Lucid. And I'm basically eager to explore how these experiences um, shaped your approach to building things and leading. Uh, it's basically great to have you here today. Yeah. Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to start with uh, Lucid. Uh, I'd like to talk about it. And uh, could you tell me uh, what kind of problem you guys are trying to solve? And uh, what's the stage you are, uh, that you are at when it comes to discovering the product? Yeah, of course. For, first of all, thanks Leszek also to, for the invite. I'm very happy that we talk about it and have this opportunity also to re represent uh, Lucid. So the, the first funny thing is like, actually when we started talking, right? That was like four or five months ago, somewhere earlier this year, um, I wasn't even a co-founder of Lucid yet, right? So yeah. um, I talked with the guys already and we were a little bit, we call it like a light dating phase um, <laughs> to, to getting to know each other. Um, but I back then basically still earned my money through being a consultant uh, in, the, yeah, in the product space. Um, did a couple of, let's say, freelance projects and so on. And um, now since May, um, I basically dived in completely again into this startup world, um, into the craziness. Um, quickly, what is Lucid about, right? Um, so the main founder is an architect and um, he actually came up also with this idea, went through some accelerators and then basically uh, picked some co-founders on the way that would help him to really realize that part. So, And that was uh, one tech co-founder, so CTO Pascal and um, I joined basically to glue these two things together, right? So we have yeah. the architect with all these ideas. He knows what to do. Um, and then it comes the product guy who basically can translate that into something um, that uh, tech is unable to, to really do. And that's an interesting journey because what we're trying to build is something, you know, we are riding the AI wave, of course. Um, so Lucid was found at exactly that kind of uh, time when... ChatGPT came out, all these uh, mid-journeys and so on. And um, we are basically want to re revolutionize the yeah, planning phase of uh, family homes, yeah, single family homes, uh, double family homes. Um, so kind of like an AI co-pilot. Because what we see um, is the main issue is this industry is still pretty backwards. So if you nowadays want to build a house, you have some ideas. What do you do? You go to an architect and then they start asking you some questions or you're going to a company, then they're asking you questions basically, basically from their script. Um, what do you need? What do you want? Mm -hmm. um, and it's always kind of the same. It's very much focused on, um, let's say, the rationality of things, but not so much about the emotional part of it. So uh, for some people, design is not really important, but I think for a lot of people, design is important. And a lot of people just kind of opt out out of it because um, it's, yeah, they, they believe an architect and making a nice design that's super expensive and this is way beyond their their class, right? 
which not necessarily is the case, right? And this is something that we want to address with Lucid. We want to bring the people actually into the driver's seat of creating their own dream houses, understanding what is possible from right in the beginning, and then challenge the architects also to build something like that so that we don't have basically all these copy-pasted um, mm. houses here that look basically all kind of the same and uh, experiment a little bit and bring that actually to the people and uh, empower the, the homeowners to really build what they, what they love. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I think uh, there's, it's one thing it's costly, sometimes it's unavailable, but also when you work with architect, I, at least that's my understanding or slash designer, there's this path that you're going and it's actually really hard. Once you spend a lot of time on a single design or single path that you're following in terms of a vision, it's really hard or expensive to change the way, like dramatic, dramatically go back uh, in terms of, you know, uh, the outcome you want to observe. It's, it's, it's very, very costly. At least that's my understanding. Even in those early phases when there's, uh, it's just drawing, it's still very costly to go back, alter things. And I think, uh, from what you said, my, my my intuition says like it's 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 going to be also much easier to you know change mind and express exactly. it in the design as well. Exactly, and that's why we're also addressing it actually from both sides. What you say is very true, right? Um, so it's costly, but not only on the side of the homeowners. Often when they go to an architect, they either have a package. Although nowadays we also hear from a lot of architects that they do it really per hour because. It is such a phase where it is sometimes really hard to understand how long would it take. And what happens is exactly this part and that makes it costly is this back and forth, right? Mm. So I'm coming with something and the architect shows me something. And um, I have to get accustomed to that, right? So I maybe have an idea, but depending on how, let's say, design savvy I am and how much idea I have about uh, construction architecture, um, I will probably pick first something that is, you know, very standard without even thinking about it. And then along the way, I might see something old, but that actually looks really cool. But now I'm already almost done through with the, with the design that I uh, choose at the beginning. Do I really go back for that? So this is actually where AI can help a lot because you can create so quickly nowadays all kinds of ideas, right? Of course, you can go to Pinterest already and, and mm -hmm. look for some houses that are there, but um, actually really creating yourself and saying, okay, this is kind of what I want. Um, what about you draw me a garage here? How does it look with a pool in the front or maybe a Zen garden or whatever you want, right? So um, experimenting around with that makes it so much more tangible for, for the homeowner, for the user. Mm. And then they can go to the architect, right? And the architect can take these ideas and say, okay, good. Um, I see a lot of flaws here. We need to do this, there, and so on. So um, AI is far away from being really replacing architects. It's not perfect. It's not really often not even exactly buildable um, as what you see, but we're getting there, right? So we're getting very close to things. And um, in the end, also drawing a, a floor plan is nowadays much more easier with uh, machine learning. You can basically create things already and then uh, drag and drop around. And so you don't need to be an architect yourself or you know, using cut software, you can really play that. And mm. that lowers the barrier so much so that people actually can really start expressing themselves. And that's what we want to achieve. Cool. And what stage are you at? Um, we're at a very, very early stage still. Um, we're 
currently still bootstrapping, looking for investment. We have our alpha phase out there. So it's on lucid.ai. You can actually log in. You can uh, test around our alpha, which is simply creating currently uh, pictures from houses um, according to different styles that you create or that you choose. And you can already play around with our floor planner, um, seeing how that works. And yeah, this is basically under construction, so it will get better week by week. Um, and that's where we are. Um, we plan by the end of the year to actually launch our MVP, uh, which then we also want to already get started with one or two of our first co uh, not co-pilot, pilot customers um, that really will um, help us also understand how does that work in, in their business. So we're actively currently talking with businesses, especially, and maybe I can make a little bow into the current situation in these times that are a little bit of like, we're talking already about a crisis here or some are really mm -hmm. talking about a crisis, especially in the building industry because uh, the interest rate goes up, um, People are not really clear what will happen, right? So um, the market drops yeah. mm -hmm. enormously, right? Um, at least 30%. Sometimes we hear about 50%. So that depends on where you are um, as a company in the, in the chain, right? Um, so that is really um, a topic that, yeah, pressures all of them. And we believe with modern technology, this is how you can actually start also tackling this situation because mm. uh, in the end yeah. we make things more effective more efficient um cost efficient specifically but also we time help efficient yeah. exactly time efficient we help to filter out certain things sorry i think i'll you lost me for a second no 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 maybe for a tiny second like, yeah i got uh, a, I, I got a call on my my, my phone i just <laughs> silenced it quickly um exactly so um where we're at. so efficiency we are efficiency mm -hmm. um we are basically helping also these companies um to filter very quickly and not spend a lot of time on people that are undecisive um make it very, very clear from the beginning. What does it mean to build a house, right? So what does it cost you and what can you get for, for what you can afford? And this whole chain, I think um, in general, we will see not only in our industry, but we will see that those companies will prevail that work hand in hand with the new technology, with AI technology that can help really lowering down so many things and making things so much more efficient. And we will see that here as well. Nice. Nice. Uh, if, uh, you can also on your website, you can also see a video, which is really cool, actually presents the idea. Yes, uh, very well, I think. Uh, I really like that one. Um, I want to talk about um, product discovery at mm -hmm. this very early stage of uh, product evolution. Uh, I guess it must be very exciting. Uh, but also Certainly. quite challenging at the same time. Before we started recording, we talked about ups and downs. I think also that's uh, the ups and downs are part of the product discovery, uh, as I imagine. Uh, and I want to want to ask you about uh, yeah, how 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 is the product discovery at this very early stage? Yeah, yeah. Thanks very much for that question. I mean, that's actually my my kind of favorite part here. Um, so when we started talking, I was completely in this phase of like. Uh, saying also building my own course about product discovery, right? Or Maven. Um, and 
So that was a very interesting challenge for me because I came from a position as a head of product, as you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked many years in, in the startup and scale-up scene in, in Berlin. Um, the latest part was uh, in FinTech. I was the head of product there. And uh, product discovery was always kind of like this mystical thing. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you have something as a company, but how do you really ensure that you're building the right thing? And I was in this scalar phase and with my, let's say, with my vision completely on, on that, how that is a problem in these, uh, yeah, scaling companies and already a little bit more established companies. And now I'm experiencing it completely on the other side, right? So the main difference that I see there is like, how do you actually approach people? Because what I, what I saw when we worked in, in a company that already has customers, that has already many contacts into the mm-hmm. industry, um, what you usually very easily do is you ask your salespeople or the CEO or some, some other person in the company that is well connected with people that know your industry or even use your product. And you go in there and you ask questions. Um, what we often not do in this kind of setup is really going out and ask people that do not do not use our our product right so there is this kind of like return as bias right so all these companies that actually already use us um they will give us very valuable feedback but what about those that do not use us Mm. and now i'm here at the startup where we basically don't have a customer yet right so we have users nor alpha that are using us but we don't have an actual customer that that pays for us pays for the service why is that yeah, because we're early and uh, um, we're actually not there yet really to sell. Um, so basically, I have to go through a cold call situation. I have to make them really understand, okay, I need a little bit of your time. I don't want to sell you something right now because we don't have the product to sell right now. But in order to get there, I need to understand what you really need. And this is this is tricky. Um, fortunately, I have to say, it works out pretty nicely. So there's enough people out there that are open for it and Mm -hmm. really want to hear about it. Some people really already thought about similar things and really correspond with this idea and like, yeah, this is great. We need something like that. And now that you tell me, um, I'm actually thinking about it. Mm -hmm. You have those people that are like, you have to pull a little bit into the direction until they understand what you can actually really do. Right. So there's many people say, yeah, but we have some software that does that. Yes, some software that uh, maybe asks some question or, you know, like a, I don't know, a type form is something completely different. It's also software, but it's something completely different than, than what we do. And making them understand what is actually possible today is a very, very important part. Mm-hmm. But in the same time, you want to understand what is the actual problem of the people, right? And getting down there and really like, are we actually solving a problem for you guys? I mean, making people excited about something is, is something, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's possible. But in the product discovery, you want to understand, is that a problem that the customer would be willing to pay money for, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you get there? And how do you actually get them to think about it? Think about something that they don't even know, um, that they've never heard because it's completely new. Um, it's not on the market yet. Um, so how do you do that? And how do you get also through the first flight uh, reaction from them saying, ah, okay, you want to sell me something, right? So because you start asking questions, right? Try different approaches with like, hey, more of like a survey approach. I want to ask some questions. 
I got rejected. It's like, yeah, no, sorry, I don't have time for, for that. Then you go into the part of like, yeah, we're building a software and you have some people saying, ah, yeah, no, I don't need other software. So push you out right away. So mm -hmm. it's, it's sometimes hard, but that's also very exciting. And I think just one last sentence, the key here is really that you try to understand what's going on on the market, right? And with the people that you talk, and this is something that I also realized by doing it, is like, what is really your your target customer? Um, mm -hmm. I see. You have, exactly. We had, a, we had some target customer defined from quite the beginning, architects, uh, certain age. We have that in our pitch. And then you call these people and realize, mm. <laughs> it's not like that. It's not like that because... Architects are very individual. So what about more like the, the prefab house companies or the building companies, um, that have already oh, a sales team, right? So, so this is where we actually approach that and realize, okay, this is much more our niche because their pain is much bigger than the single architect. And yes. um, also, but a, also uh, architect has, they have their own unique styles usually. And you go to architect with, uh, I can only guess that might be. Some, yes. Some yes. Part yes. Of it. Exactly. Interesting. Very interesting. And um, okay. And uh, how, like you mentioned, cold calling, but these are actually cold calls. You you ha you, you reach out for a phone and you call the the people. Absolutely. Right? Hit the brakes and call the people, and often go to the the service center first and ask multiple times until you get called back. Um, so yeah, but um, that is something I also. To be honest, I had to learn that even as a head of product that is preaching all the time, you have to speak to your customer, you have to do that, you have to to get the connection. You know, I had to relearn that, really going in there and uh, making my own script, making sure that people not um, overwhelmed, that they really understand and that you nail down to understand what their problem is, not just having a nice conversation with them and trying to get yourself into a positive mode of like, yeah, yeah, they like what I have. Mm. I don't want to have that because nobody, nobody will buy the software um, because it's easy for people to, to say, hey, this is very cool. But it's very hard to say, hey, you're absolutely right. I actually need to do that. I need to, I need to think about it. And if you guys are ready, show me. And I'm really kind of interested in buying. So, and then you can start the selling process. I think I think it might be also really, as you said, very challenging uh, psychologically because there's a lot of rejection. Uh, there's yes. a lot of you have to be very resilient um, with um, maybe discipline even about this. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. It was also hard for me at the beginning to make these calls after one each other, and especially if you have somebody who is not so positive about it. Uh, it's kind of like an emotional part that you have every time, right? And you have to overcome that. You have to understand this is business. And of course, people don't understand what you have in mind because you thought about it for months. Um, you have a good idea, but uh, the idea itself is not necessarily what sells, right? You have to solve a problem. And this is what we always say in product management. We're not, we're not selling features. We're selling problem solving, right? We need to solve the problem for our customer. And that doesn't matter whether you have a new product like us, where it's absolutely crucial, otherwise you won't get any sales, or you have a product that you want to scale. Because you're actually in this moment, it's like, yes, you have maybe some customers, and then you think, okay, people need that. But what is our USP? How can we really make that difference? So why is our sales stagnating? 
if you are ever at a point, you really have to ask yourself, are you still understanding the main problem of your customer? Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. But just to get, uh, just for the audience to get, to get to understand the scale of this cold calling, I want to ask you, just just to have just to have context. For example, how many calls per week would you do you roughly have with? Uh, so I'm with basically going around between thirty and fifty calls per week. Um, mm -hmm. So that's uh, around ten per day. Um, it depends always a little bit also how the response is, right? So sometimes I really have calls of people that are really interested and I'm talking an hour with them. So it's like you, you extract That's a lot great. of information and I'm there like, okay, should I shut them down and shall I close it down or shall I just try to listen and really understand mm. what is what is behind that? This is the thing that you have to decide, right? So it's maybe not the most efficient way um, of doing it, but I think in this early phase that we are, it's very important to listen. Listen really what are the problems that the industry has, right? And I think this is an important important mission message that I also would like to give to the audience is like, um, don't focus just too much on, on yourself. Really try to open your horizon mm -hmm. up by understanding what are the problems out there. And I'm often coming back with some ideas and, and then discussing with my, my co-founder, the architect, and he pulls me then back. It's like, yeah, yeah, I understand. I know, I know there's all these kind of things. And in theory, we can do a lot, and um, but this is super complicated, or we shouldn't go that because X, Y, Z, right? And this is an important thing, but that process also helps him to understand, oh, okay, look, this is from the outside side and so on. Um, maybe we can, we can alter the plan a little bit that we had and do this or go a little bit wider here, right? Um, it's always to find your niche. And if you stop listening, you will not really understand what's what's out there. So mm -hmm. don't try to just sell and get positive feedback and that also try to really understand what are the, the problems that the people on the other side of the phone line have. Very actionable advice. Uh, but uh, also on the on the actionable or front or tactical front, I, I assume you, uh, when you do calls like this, you already come with the, hypothesis that you want to validate and uh, that takes some amount of calls and uh, with sufficient amount of data you basically try to try to validate if it's valid or not and then you continue with another one is that how you approach it absolutely absolutely i mean you have to imagine in our early stage um, basically we have a hypothesis for our product right um, but even though that we say we were an AI co-pilot for home design and so on, we have different approaches here. We have different approaches that we also need to test. Um, so I'm basically also a B testing at the same time with slightly mm -hmm. variations because, uh, at some parts it's like certain people react to, to certain things. And, uh, some of them are very, very positive when you talk about design, others block immediately because they don't want a design tool. They don't want to be even involved in design tools. But what they all want is better business, uh, leaner business, better customers, right? Um, and this is where you actually can can also experiment. So don't have a fixed script. Try a couple of things uh, from different approaches, making you know just different words, trying to sell the same thing or trying to to come to the same point, right? Um, just understanding how they react on that. 
it's very important that you have some key hypothesis always in there that you want to, to be tested. But keep these questions for the conversation, not for the first pitch, hmm. right? Don't put it out there at the, the very first thing. You have to understand first, where's this person heading to? How would you formulate that question? And then ask this question. So when you have a connection with the people, ask them. Could you give me an example, uh, like, uh, uh, of this, um, oh, how you ask about specific things? Because I mean, it's, uh, I, I think I understand, but I, I'd like to, mm -hmm. uh, sort of get, like, be sure that I'm, I'm on the same track. So for example, I'm going in with at the beginning, usually with a very broad approach. So we are software that do, uh, the, the planning and design phase. Uh, more efficient, automize it, automize it, and um, so on and so forth to see whether they have a general under interest and understanding of that. Um, and then I'm going deeper, and that depends on what this person actually is. So if I see this person is very much uh, connecting to our also, let's say, emotional part of like the designs are not so well out there. It's always the same kind of things. So I'm trying to pitch a little bit from that direction. Okay, look, what if we could actually change this kind of together. I could help you bringing more uh, interesting designs out there to help your customers really um, coming up with the ideas that they want because you just told me, for example, that um, building a family home is not so much an architect work. It's much more about what actually the, the homeowner wants, right? Because they have to live in there and they need to want it. So you can't push it on them. You have to make it in a way that they believe they created it, right? So that works with some people very well, but with some people, not at all, because they are not interested in that. What they want is kind of like the facts. So then I'm going more the route of saying, okay, but what about if we really talk about uh, or let your, your client play around with that and make sure that the information that we can gather from that are helping you to make a decision whether that works with you or not, whether you want to take this client, whether you believe this client will actually stick with you. So these are basically the same thing. The software is the same, right? Um, but it's already a different approach. And the one person is very emotional about this design thing. Yeah, I, I hate all these designs and all the houses look the same. It's so bad. Others don't care at all. They want to make sure that their business is running well. So they build anything, but they want to make sure that the, uh, the person that builds it is happy and actually can work with them through the whole process. That's fascinating. Uh, this early stage is uh, is, is fascinating phase uh, of uh, development. Um, but I, I'd like to sh uh, change gears a bit, and I'd sure. like to talk about how to use use your broad experience, extensive background in product management, or specifically, you ha right now you have absolutely full flexibility. Uh, how you want to run things, mm -hmm. uh, being a CPO and a co-founder. And I want to ask you if you do things differently. You already said that to a certain extent, this sort of cold calling part is something different than you've done in the past. But is there anything else that you want to do or uh, or, or, you already, or, or are, you are already doing differently than before? Yeah, very good question. And... To be honest, um, I think I can state that right in before. It's like, to a certain extent, I had to unlearn certain behaviors. I wouldn't say what I necessarily the hard knowledge that I have, 
but I had to unlearn certain behaviors. It's like because in scale apps or in, in bigger companies, we approach things already different. And sometimes we already already have a certain level of, I would say, arrogance, right? So doing the thing. So we are product manager. Maybe we, knew, we do this thing over and over. You know, we know how to do um, a product discovery. And then you're here. You're teaching it to others. It's completely different than going in yourself and then realizing, oh, you are actually not really at, at this point, right? Um, so there is a lot of these things that happen to me on a daily basis. And this is fascinating. Right. But you have to be open for it because you wouldn't actually be able to succeed if you just stick to what you learned. On the other side, um, the knowledge and the background that I have helps me very quickly to understand um, making also gut feelings. Right. So mm -hmm. makes me understand, OK, am I on the right track here or am I not on the right track? Right. And certain things that make you emotional. Um, are not necessarily helpful. So this is something that you have learned as a product manager probably over the years a lot, right? Is that not necessarily when you like it, uh, everybody else likes it, right? So you have to stay a certain distance. These You're things, not a representative user. Exactly, exactly. Um, so these things help a lot. And of course, if you have, uh, let's say, a good toolbox um, that you can use as soon as you feel like, okay, this is not going into the direction. So what are we using right now? So what kind of methods are we using to um, evaluate our hypothesis? Um, where can we get some more data, right? So what can you read from the few data that you have in a startup, right? Um, and how not to over-interpret it, right? So this is definitely here, experience plays a big role. Um, but in general, I would say it's most important that you really understand what is needed for the current role to, to stick to it. Mm -hmm. And when you ask about the flexibility that I have, yeah, I'm doing everything. I'm even doing finance. I'm, you know, we did a lot of uh, calls with investors recently, right? So pitching that from a, from a standpoint of saying, okay, um, this company definitely will make money. You know, this is how we can do it. Um, and not just looking from a product, but also saying, okay, how does that product make money is often a thing that um, you as a product manager in a department, in a company, you do not do because that's not your turn. Mm -hmm. It's like we say, okay, we get more users and so on, but will they really pay? Is that actually the, the real business model? And now this extends and as a product manager, you can drive now these things that you usually just had as a stakeholder, um, where you had to persuade them, yeah, this is good because we do that. Now you have to be persuaded yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's a completely different story. Um, but it also makes you actually thinking about things slightly different. And um, I'm also looking forward to, you know, grow the company. So when we have certain investment, having first people, how can we actually have this very, very lean approach of thinking about it as long as possible. So this is something that I have as a very, very myself goal I really want to achieve because I realize in most of the companies that I've worked, the team size is a very important. The more people are in a team, we know this graphs about the complexity of communication with two people, three people, nine people, right? That is definitely a thing. And how do you make that that people that work actually in your company really engage and not just do their job? Because looking back, I often did my job, right? I did what I was asked for. But um, the magic happens there where you have to go a little bit outside of that. And 
um, talk to your peers, talk to your yeah supervisors even, or to to the boss itself, right? Without any fear, um, and just going there and trying to understand how can you do things differently. And I think this is the most exciting part for me in a company. And now, as basically the co-founder, I also really think about how can we leverage it for the longest period possible. Very interesting. I think I think uh, it's also th th very interesting to think about uh, broad set of responsibilities, not really like siloed siloed ones. I, in that context, I for me it's very interesting to hear that, for example, Airbnb uh, connected the product management uh, roles or f function with uh, product marketing. That's mm -hmm. for me. That's uh, somehow somehow resonates with what you said that it's not just you know uh, uh, the product work it's it's much broader in uh, in the startups and companies like airbnb actually uh i as i can only assume but that's highly probable that at the very stage airbnb every everybody everybody in the product team did everything related product maybe even finance uh, but then it's sort of like um separated got distributed into many function or departments but now somehow at this at this uh, stage of their development they're still you know coming back to some uh or basically they are regrouping some functions to uh, to get to that point back to get yeah. back to that point yeah absolutely absolutely and that's a very good point um i think what we see a lot is a little bit of a shift in the industry away from this let's say a little bit rigid role of product manager. We saw in the last years already that the role got more diverse. So you will have different people. You need a different kind of product manager for an ABI product than you need for an absolutely front end uh, B2C product, right? Um, and what we see on, on the side of, uh, let's say the more B2C side is that design is coming in more and more, right? So that's, there's also kind of like, designers are getting more uh, um, empowered actually mm -hmm. to to also drive the product because they often do these things already they're talking to customers they're doing user researches over the time so ux more and more get into the design part right it's not so much of a product management thing anymore every product manager says okay i'm i do ux but often in companies it's like you give the to your designer right because they make the questions and you don't have even the time for it and you you want their eye of detail to look for certain things, right? So this is, I think, if we combine these things together, um, would help us very much more to build products that are really light. And product marketing is also something that is still, I think, very undervalued. I worked in my career just with a few product marketing managers. Some companies had that specifically, but most companies don't. And why is that? And then you have a department maybe for marketing itself, but they never really understand in depth that what this product can do. So there's a lot of things that you have to explain. But if you have a product marketing manager that can actually mm -hmm. also drive that, that has the same power to say, hey, maybe it doesn't make sense if we do that. Think about our audience. Think about what we actually learn from that. Um, then it would be much more helpful to really think about what is the next feature that we want to build, right? Um, so for whom are we really doing that? And I think we need to be stronger here, mixing these kind of um, 
yeah, powers that we have in companies. So people with a design eye, people with some marketing skills, they can really think about how to bring your product in there. So what helps actually also to sell the product? Because it's not only the user, it's also how you can sell sell things, right? Um, in order to make money. And this is an, a very important and interesting part. So I think for everybody who is a product manager, don't try to silo yourself, but pull these people in and really um, work together um, as you can, right? So there's many of these approaches that we already had, the three friends or however you call them, right? Amigos, yeah. Amigos, three amigos, right? Uh, that, that do the things together. Um, so mix that around, right? Yes, take some, in some parts, take the developers in there, but sometimes take somebody from sales, take somebody from marketing if you don't mm -hmm. have specific roles for that. 100% agree. I, I want to ask you a final questions, uh, a question about uh, being a co-founder and selecting co-founders. So how, how do you approach that? And uh, you mentioned at the beginning that you have your own specific domains, architecture, technology and product that seems to work well, but other other key criteria, criteria that uh, you were looking for? Absolutely. Um, I can give this example from, from Lucid and how, how that actually worked for, for them and how I actually also joined that. And we together made the decision, do we need more co-founders or what would be actually um, the next step to grow the company, right? Um, and I think it's, an, it's important that you understand at the phase that you are, what do you need right now? So at the very beginning, there was basically our co-founder, Marco, who had the idea, who is an architect, who comes up with these things and wants to change something, has this idea of a problem. Very quickly in uh, that time that you have, that you want to build software, you will actually approach um, a tech person, which is normal, right? Because you can't bring these things. Is it feasible? Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How, how, how can I actually do that? Because the main question that people have like, okay, I have this idea, but I need somebody to code. I need somebody to, to, to build it. And if I don't have that, I don't feel like I will ever have a product. Um, and that's the interesting part is because most of the time people that haven't worked in product or in tech, um, they lack a little bit like the power of really understanding how to build, um, products from, from the beginning, right? So there is quite something. I mean, we are product managers. Uh, we proud ourselves of that, but there's a reason why there's product managers is because you should follow certain steps. You need to do certain things. And this is when they also realized, okay, we have the tank, but now bringing this together, the glue of like really the visionary side and the actual, this is the problem we want to solve. And um, I see where the, the company should go, the big strategy into that part of like, okay, how do we really make a product out of this? And this is how they actually approached me. And um, that happened then pretty quickly that we agreed. Exactly, that that works. So now, but you're standing there then, it's like you have agreed on that part. But in the startup, there's so much more to do, right? So this is like uh, where you then need, really need to think about who does the sales? Do we need a CMO or something? And we clearly decided, it's like, let's go with as long as we can with this kind of uh, triangle that we are right now, the, the three people. Um, we will definitely need some tech people but you don't necessarily want to have more uh, co-founders as a tech. Um, but you can also get first hires that have certain share in the company that are very motivated actually to work with you. And this is an important mm. thing. 
And when we grow and when we see what becomes now important. So for example, we really hit the market and we see we need to be much better in marketing. We need to be much better in sales. Um, does it make sense then maybe to get a co-founder still on board, right? So this is something that we will decide uh, when we go along. There's things and to develop, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, you can have people um, as co-founder, you can have people in certain C-level um, that are not necessarily co-founders, but have certain share and so on. So we will have to see how that works. The important thing for me, I believe, and this is what we also tell every candidate, you need to be clear about what is your role and what should you do. Um, this is not mm -hmm. just a job, right? So if you just need a job and want to do that, a startup is probably not for you because you need to extend your vision and we rely on you to do certain things differently, right? Um, so pick basically your little niche inside the company um, and help us doing the best with that. And uh, we are all humans, right? And um, I think the three founders of us, we're already covering quite uh, a wide area and really trying to do the best. But of course, we're not pros in, in all of these things. So this is where we believe this is the, yeah, the key to success, really understanding um, how motivated people can really do a difference here and how can, mm. how can they help us really buying into our idea and accelerating the company forward instead of just working for us um, for a good salary, right? I absolutely agree. Uh, Stefan, it was a, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much for the valuable advice. Um, I think it was really actionable. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much for sharing. Thanks a lot, Lechek, for having me here. This is really, uh, was good to talk about it. Better tech leadership powered by BrainHub. Follow Leschik on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Better Tech Leadership newsletter.